JMV here with Brian Kahn from Floors to Your Home. Fans, if you're shopping for flooring of any kind, you need to check these guys out. You're going to have the most incredible, totally hassle-free shopping experience ever. JMV, we really appreciate you saying that. That's our goal every day, to offer our customers a quick, easy, and hassle-free experience at all of our Floors to Your Home locations. Fans, it works like this. You see the product you like. It's going to be cheaper than anywhere else. That's for sure. Then you can immediately take it home with you or have it installed. That's right. No hassle, no special order. Just see it, buy it, and take it home, or have it installed. Like three rooms of hardwood, laminate, or waterproof flooring starting at just 349 and they have everything in stock. I'm doing my whole house, and believe me, this is the best shopping experience you'll ever have. Three convenient locations, Avon, Noblesville, and Brookville Road. Who gives the quickest, easiest, and most hassle-free buying experience? Floors to your home. That's who. The Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline from SI, Locked On Pacers and more. Nobody built better strategically to go through the ins and the outs of this reported deal today for Pascal Siakam between the Pacers and the Raptors than our friend uh, Tony East. Where do you begin with this? With the nuts and the bolts that you have seen so far, is this is something that you feel that the Pacers absolutely would have to do? Because that's how I feel. Yeah, eventually they're going to have to do something like this, right? You know, they need the second talent next to Tyrese Halliburton, and they really need size, right? And the timing is funny because one of the teams that could properly expose the Pacers' size, the Utah Jazz, just kicked their butt two days ago, right? 27-point win for Utah. Pacers' second biggest loss of the season. They've needed forward depth bad and for a while on both ends, and now they have it. They've got a guy who can create his own shot regardless of Halliburton's on the floor. They've got a guy who can finish plays, uh, you know, next to Halliburton and without him. They've got a, a mega talent, right? He's a two-time All-NBA player. And sure, there's some contract stuff to work through, but I think it's a, an absolutely a trade the Pacers were going to have to make at some point. So to do it now and keep all of their young guys in-house, I think that is a pretty good deal for them. Hey, it's Tony East on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Potline. Pascal Siakam traded from the Raptors to the Pacers. Now, when you, again you look over the dynamics of this reported deal, do you also feel, as, as I do, that it, it looks like you give away relatively nothing in terms of what you can't make up with this team and get better with right now? That's how I felt. Do you feel the same way, too? Yeah, you know, once we got what we knew last night, I thought that the two 2024 first was going to be the thing that made this possible to be that, you know, what you just described, because then they can still trade a bunch of their own first well into the future. They still have, like I said, all their young guys to make deals. Like it, it's a reasonable price. And this is kind of just been building through this with their, you know, they've always talked about flexibility. And in the moment when, you know, your team doesn't make these giant improvements as a fan, it's kind of sometimes painful to just hear them talk about flexibility. Well, this is why, right? Cause then eventually they can cash in some of that stuff and extra picks and cash and all that to get a really good player. And I think they did a good job biding their time and finding the right time to do that, and they pulled it off today. He is Tony East of SI and more locked on Pacers, Channel 13, and more on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline going over this Pascal Siakam trade. And I'm, I was one of those in – it was about a year ago when I just got sick and tired of hearing about draft capital and leverage and all this other crap. So, yes, I mean, the fact – got to give a shout-out to draft capital because that is clearly what made this deal happen. In terms of what you're getting, I mean, we see Pascal Siakam – as face value, they're over 22 a game. Uh, he's a guy is is one of those high-level NBA players, individually speaking. What do you believe the Pacers are getting, and how well will he fit in here with the guys? 
Yeah, I was asked uh, on morning show with Kevin and, and Andy a couple, like a month ago, a month mm. and a half ago, about, you know, Ananobi and Siakam, which one's a better fit with the Pacers? And I said Siakam at the time because Ananobi's the better defender. But to me, and I've said this for forever, even before last free agency, you know, Tyrese Halberton is the whiz. He's amazing on offense. He's the reason the Pacers had the best offense in NBA history. But one, when he's off the floor, and two, when he's getting blitzed all the time, they have needed a second guy to really be the person who can, you know, still break down defenses, put pressure on the rim, keep their style going with size. And Matherin sometimes been able to do that, and Turner has sometimes been able to do that. But they've never had a consistent number two, a guy that makes teams have to scramble to guard multiple players. And I've always felt that that was really important. And so I thought Tiaka would be a great fit. Or exactly that. And, you know, he, he, I think Caitlin Cooper said this one tour yesterday. He's like paper thin when he has the ball. He can just like fit between defenders out of nowhere and get into the paint, make defenses rotate, make nice passes. He started awful from three this year, but is over 40% since like mid November. You know, he's a decent shooter. His true shooting percentage is really good. He is a hand in glove offensive fit for this Pacers team, especially next to Halbert. He can play with pace. Like to me, it's a slam dunk fit there. Defensively, he's fine. He is sized, and they don't have that. He's the best of their power forward defenders now, right? Neesmith is a little too small all the time. So in that way, I think he's a great fit, and I think it's, it's going to be a good one for the Pacers. And they have a lot of time to figure out how that can evolve. It's you know still three weeks till the trade deadline, so he, I think that's good stuff. He is uh, Tony East who joins us talking about the Pascal Siakam deal from the Raptors to the Pacers and the effects really for the Pacers now and even in the longer term a little bit as well. I, I, I kind of look at this. I, among winning, um, and, and because it all revolves around Tyrese Halliburton, I, I so want to think and believe that Indy can be a player destination location because of Halliburton. <laughs> Um, one of the worries we have is going to come up later on, maybe in July, in fact, when he officially is a free agent. Do you think that behind the scenes there had to be some reassurance of sorts that he was going to be cool with re-signing for this deal to completely get done, or do you think they were just thrilled in what they had, not only had had to give here in what Toronto was going to take, but also still having, honestly – Tony, you look at it, they have some leverage, if you want to look at it that way, still prior to the trade deadline here. How do you look at this? There had to be some reassurance there, but also the fact that you leave yourself some flexibility prior to the trade deadline. It seems like an offer you just simply couldn't refuse, I guess, ultimately. Yeah, I think that is kind of the case. You know, not have, I think the key part of this, I've kind of mentioned a few times, is not having to give up Matherin and Walker in particular, like, you know, you don't get into the lottery very much. And the Pacers, like, you know, this champ, be like, they didn't pick in the top 10 for 30, 30 years, right? And so they picked in the top 10 twice. They want to hold on to that stuff. That could be their best assets or ticket to something more in the future. Like, I think it's a big deal that they were able to hold on to that. I think it's sort of to way to be willing to their picks to do so. They still can trade future picks next year, but to hold on to their young guys, I think, is. And they still. Have. Oh, hey, oh, hey, Tony, hold on one second. Stand still wherever you are because you're cutting in and out. I want to make sure that our listening audience hears what you have to say about that. So I'm going to have James. James, reset him really quick because you're cutting in and out. I want to make sure the knowledge that you're dropping right now, it is soaked up 
by the listening audience that is out there. And a shout out to everybody, too, including everybody now with the excitement of this deal being made inside the lounge via YouTube Live. Hopefully, uh, everybody is in there, maybe some for the first time in uh, the lounge at YouTube Live. All right, Tony East rejoins us right now. Go ahead and reset back where we were. I just wanted to make sure that everybody got and understood what you were talking about with this. Yeah, they just they still have some ammo to even get better, right? Like you said, the trade deadline's coming up. Buddy Heald's contract is still expiring. Uh, they still have their two lottery picks, their most recent lottery picks, Jairus Walker and Ben Matherin. And you know this, JMB, like, they don't pick in the top ten. They've only done it twice since the 19, late 1980s, right? Like, that is a huge deal for them to be able to hold on to those guys, the ones who could, in theory, be their best tickets now to being that third star, that th- third key player on their team to keep those, I think was a big deal. And I think it makes you extra motivated to, you know, make the deals that they did. They're being able to willing to send out three firsts, which sounds like a big deal, but if they are willing to send out three firsts, as you're asking to me, that signals that they feel pretty good about keeping him right. Adrian Wojnarowski tweeted. uh, I, I can't remember how long it was ago. I have to scroll through my, my internet now that uh, Siakam is excited about the deal to the Pacers and expected to be eager to work out a new contract with the franchise this summer. Mark Spears said that Pascal is excited about being with the Pacers after talking to his agent, right? Like that stuff all matters. And that would of course be a disaster, right? If they trade for him and he leaves, that's a big problem. That's a July problem. And the new CBA, the Pacers are able to negotiate first, right? After the finals end, the Pacers can talk to their own free agents. So they'll have a chance that they'll have some teams to worry about, but I don't think you do this without some reasonable confidence that you can keep Pascal Siakam, especially given the young guys they were able to keep at the same time. Tony, were you surprised what they ultimately did give up in this deal to get him? Uh, not really. I mean, I think that uh, you know it was going to take something like this if there were no young players involved, right? You saw what the OG Ananobi trade was like; they were really excited about Emmanuel quickly because he's a proven, awesome young talent. And right after that trade, they looked fantastic right they got some great wins and that's kind of fallen away a little bit but um you know that that's typically what teams like so to be able to do it for first i think is important for the pacers to hold on to their young guys and bruce brown team option next year but the second that deal got signed right i think you and i talked about this like that contract looked extremely tradable for the pacers with that team option next year the raptors could even flip him if they wanted this season, Jordan Wara, he's on an expiring contract that was not extendable. He was going to be a free agent. So moving him makes some sense. Getting an extra second for taking on Kyra Lewis, which is like the smallest part of this that no one really will be interested in, is also good business by the Pacers, right? There's just a lot of stuff they did that I think is really interesting and, and good value for them. Assuming they can keep him on a deal that isn't overpriced because he'll turn 30 in April, Siakam will. Uh, I think that this is a price they had to do because he's going to fit them perfectly, and they did a good job to keep their powder relatively dry going forward. So uh, any other – and Tony East joins us again. That's uh, SI.com. It's THR. It's uh, Locked on Pacers and more, making sure we're all firmly aware of everything going on with this uh, Siakam to the Pacers deal from the Raptors. Anything that we haven't talked about yet that may be a little bit not so much in the center of the radar but uh, on the radar for the Pacers in terms of of what this deal means for the roster right now? Uh, Right this second, I mean, I think that using their cap space in a deal is going to be interesting to see what they end up with from a from a cash perspective, because now they can't renegotiate and extend Buddy Heald. They can still extend him on a regular extension, but the renegotiation part is no longer probably possible. So that's going to be an interesting factor here as well. Because 
he now fits even better <laughs> with this team, right? Like, it's going to be even easier for him to get up open threes. He hasn't been making them this year, but that that seems to be the next thing that really interests me because every other expiring contract player uh, besides Buddy Heald is either on a contract that could be back with the Pacers next year or they'll be a restricted free agent and they'll be top in this case. So that's the first thing I think about. And the second thing is um, their forward depth is now really fascinating to me with uh, Siakam and Obi Toppin and Jalen Smith starting at the four, which that won't be the case anymore. Uh, and Jairus Walker, right? How does that log jam get sorted out, especially because now that's bad news for maybe Isaiah Jackson or maybe Obi Toppin. So th- that is the next interesting thing to me is where does that all go? Because they have a better team now, but they got to figure out their team uh, you, going forward. You think this team, like I mentioned, and I want it to be, you think it's going to evolve into a, a destination for players that, that want to win and up their game playing alongside, playing around Tyrese Halliburton, which clearly we have seen his his fingerprints all over this team when he's out there, how well they play, and then compare that to when he's not out there and how they look. Do you think this will become a basketball destination location of sorts here? It's got to be the hope, right? You know, Woj was important at the end-season tournament that Hal Burton's recruiting and hopeful to keep guys. And it's not just about getting guys to sign with the Pacers. It's about getting guys to re-sign with the Pacers in Siakam's case, and that's just as valuable, right? If it makes you more confident you can make a trade like this, that has tangible value to your franchise. And I think if they, if they believe that Siakam can re-sign and will fit well with Hal Burton, they're already showing that they believe that can be the case for their team, right? So, I think that's exceedingly meaningful, right? Like the Nuggets, for example, when they were ascending with Jokic before they actually won a title, they were never learning free agents, and all of a sudden they get Paul Millsap to come in, and they get a lot better. Then they get Aaron Gordon and KCP and all these guys. Like if you just slowly get better as a basketball team, you can become an attractive destination for other players. And I think having Tyrese Halliburton and now having Pascal Siakam puts the Pacers closer to that path. All right. If you were a betting person right now, would you bet that the Pacers are done or because of what we talked about, that flexibility, might there be something else on the horizon prior to the trade deadline? Just because of the log jam, I think they're going to have the front court. I don't think they're done done, but I wouldn't say that I expect anything super significant now. But I've been wrong before. We'll see. All right. Doesn't look like he'll play in Sacramento. They got a back-to-back, Sacramento and Portland Thursday and Friday, and then Phoenix to close out that road trip on Sunday. What do you think likely – to see Pascal Siakam make his Pacers debut. Yeah, perhaps in Phoenix uh, could be an opportunity for that. Uh, but then they come home for four games, right, and, and three tough ones at that. So uh, perhaps it's back-to-back, although that's pretty tough. I, I don't know where the Raptors are. I'd have to check um, right now. But I, I would presume that, you know, Portland, Phoenix, or perhaps that Denver game when they come back home could be the answers. All right. What are you writing for people out there that they can read regarding this? It's all been fluid this afternoon. Thanks, by the way, for jumping on here. But uh, what do you got content-wise for folks? Trying trying to get the detail part done first and then some analysis on what it means for the Pacers roster going forward. I'll have a podcast up later today as well. So it's all coming for you guys. Oh, well done. Well, I knew you were perfect (laughs) to lead off on the show with, again, all the nuts and bolts of this thing, man. I appreciate Uh, you more than you know, Tony. Look at the foresight from you booking me today, JMV. That's why I got you on here. Appreciate you, brother. Later. Of course. Thank you. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. On the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline from the star, he covers the Pacers. Uh, Dustin DePurak joins us. Dustin, your thoughts today when all of this started to, I guess, in your case in Sacramento, land in your lap. What do you think? 
Yeah, no, I mean, it's it, it's a huge deal, and obviously they were able to do it without uh, getting rid of something massive. Obviously, the, the story going around was that they were not going to part with Benedict Master and they were not going to part with Jarris Walker. I still believe in both of those young guys that's all agreed each of the last two years. And they managed to do it. I mean, I think, uh, you know, it, there's certainly going to be concern that, um, you know, if you don't re-sign him, that, that it can end up being a rental. But the guy that you moved is you're kind of your top-line player, and this is Bruce Brown, kind of could have been a rental anyway. I mean, they had him on a team option uh, going into next year, and they might have declined that. Um, so they managed to give up. Uh, you know, Brown's been a really effective player, but, I mean, when that's the top-line guy and you're going to get a, a two-time All-NBA wing, who also fits what you really need. Uh, I mean, I, I think it's a great move, and I think they obviously have a good chance of re-signing him. There's been certainly good indications so far uh, out of Siakam's camp that, that he would be interested in doing that. Certainly, it's going to cost him a lot of money. Um, but, it, I mean, basically, I think they were going into this saying, hey, you got to go get a second all-star caliber player. you got to be willing to pay him, and you have to trust that if you put a guy like him alongside Tyrese Halliburton, that he's going to be so happy and enjoy it so much that he's going to want to stay. Um, so they obviously, you know, uh, factored all of that in and, and just, you know, went after, you know, went big, swung for the biggest guy they could swing for uh, and got him. So pretty significant win, I think, for the Pacers here. And Dustin DePurek, he covers the Pacers on the road for the Indianapolis Star with us via the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline and that deal. And do uh, you think that there is no doubt the Pacers feel fairly confident, even maybe even more so than fairly confident, of getting a longer-term commitment either you know coming up or this summer from Pascal Siakam, given the fact they ultimately did execute this deal? Yeah, I mean, I do. I don't know if they got a guarantee. I mean, I think there's been – I know uh, Mark Spears from Manscaped got a hold of his agent and, and it had – it was just a kind of a little bit of a canned quote, um, but it said, you know, that, that he liked the idea of his future there. Um, I, I think – whether they have a guarantee or not, I'm sure that they feel like they at least are going to get a, a, a fair hearing. Um, and, you know, the general theory of the case of the Pacers is like, you know, I asked Halliburton really about recruiting um, at the in-season tournament. He said, you know, trust what your eyes tell you. Um, to, you know, look at, look at what we're doing, see how much fun it is. Don't you want to come do this? Um, and so their case is going to be like when you get out and play this style and you get to run as much as he's going to when you play with a pass-first superstar who, who really does enjoy getting everybody involved the way Tyrese Halliburton does, man, you're going to get the ball and you're going to get an opportunity to score. And, you know, aren't you going to want to do this? Isn't this going to, doesn't this seem fun to you that you're instantly going to be on a fun team uh, that's going to be competitive? And so basically their belief is I think, I, I think more than anything else, they wanted to know they were going to get a hearing at least that they were going to get a real opportunity. I don't know if they needed a guarantee, but I think they believe in what they're doing enough that it's going to be attractive enough for somebody like Siakam to want to stick around and, you know, be in a situation where, you know, the Pacers, if, if, if they have both of those guys, the Pacers can be at least a contender, at least in with the Bucks and Celtics, you know, the 76ers going forward. They can be in that realm uh, and they'll have a shot and Siakam could be on a, a, another team that's capable of winning the East. What's Siakam do for this offense, you think, right away? Whenever it is he plays, it doesn't look like it's going to be tomorrow night in Sacramento. Probably won't be then in that back-to-back in Portland. Maybe maybe Phoenix on Sunday, maybe early next week on a Tuesday against Denver at Cambridge Fieldhouse. But whenever that is, what offensively? We've seen the numbers. What offensively does he bring to this team? Because they're already a really accomplished offensive group that's going to add a major weapon. Right. I mean, obviously, they don't have a guy who's been operating as, as their number two second option. I mean, I think what's wild is since Halliburton's been out, um, they've had 
they had three games. You know, Utah on Monday night was was a wreck. Um, but prior to that game, you know, when Brown and, and Neesmith were out, they had had three straight games where they had, had seven guys scoring double figures, but nobody got 20. Um, and so there's good and bad to that. Um, but Siakam is a guy that's going to be able to get you 20 and 30 whenever you need it. I mean, on, on nights when everyone's trying to take Halliburton out, um, Siakam can be the guy, and he's also not selfish. I mean, he's averaging, I think he averaged 5.8 assists last year for a guy that's 6'8", 230. That's a pretty huge number, and he's just 4.9 assists. So he, is a, he, he can be a selfless player. He can fit into this style where they like to move the ball and like to get everybody involved. Um, but he can obviously score himself. He can go get his buckets. Um, you know, he's a, he's got enough perimeter skill at 6'8", 230 to create his own shot. Um, a, a not great, but a, a good enough three-point shooter, but can get his can get his buckets. He's a guy that can get you 20, 25, 30 whenever you ask for it. Um, and they do need something like somebody like that. As much as the, you know, all for one, one for all thing is great, uh, you do need to have somebody that can that can take over when someone, some team decides, you know, I'm just not letting Tyrese Halliburton beat me today. Um, you know, they need a guy who's been able to do that. They haven't had that. Matherin's had a couple games like that, but hasn't necessarily been consistent at it. Siakam is a guy that you know is going to be able to do that every night if you need it. So Dustin DePurek covers the Pacers for the star. When do you think he makes his Pacers debut? I mean, I think Sunday's a good bet. Um, you know, obviously, you've got to find out just if there's anything specific that might be an issue there. You know, no one's been able to talk about that yet. I'm sure it's not final enough for uh, anybody to be able to go on record and talk about it yet. So, obviously, there could be some things we find out that's different. Um, but I think it's a fair bet that a back-to-back is kind of tough. But, you know, certainly, you know, they, they got some time. Obviously, today today's not an off day. I'm heading over to practice right now. Um, but they don't have uh, they, they don't have a game tonight. You know, maybe there's a chance to get them in by tomorrow. Maybe they could just meet up in, in Portland on Friday night. Um, but I think Sunday is probably safe. Uh, that that'd be I think a safe bet. Obviously, worst case scenario would be Tuesday when they get back to Indianapolis. All right, I know you got to run here because they have a practice. But what are we looking at health wise? Because that's been in question, and especially that of Benedict Matherin. What's your expectation, guys, that can participate in Sacramento coming up tomorrow night? Yeah, good question. I mean, obviously, uh, you know, Matherin was able to play a little bit on that ankle and end up getting taken out. So, I mean, I don't know. Uh, if it's a situation where they might have pushed him if that game was close. Um, but we'll, we'll certainly find out when we get over there. I mean, he was walking around uh, the locker room, you know, as I was leaving. I don't think – it didn't seem to be – it's not like a – you know, he wasn't on crutches coming out of there. So that, that obviously doesn't mean that he'll be playing. Um, he might take another day to rest it or anything like that. I don't think it's anything long-term. Uh, you know, Neesmith, certainly I think they, were, they would be hoping that after four days that would resolve itself. They were hoping that it was a thing that they just needed to give a little time and he could get back. Obviously, the other guy was hurt was Brown, so he obviously moves on. Um, so I would think they'd be hopeful that they'd be close to 100% with their remaining guys uh, going in tomorrow night. So Dustin DePurak of the Star covers the Pacers. He's in Sacramento getting ready to go to practice right now. Pascal Siakam for the Raptors to the Pacers, and he helped uh, break that down for us on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Pipeline. Man, I know it's short notice. Thanks for hopping on here, and uh, we'll track you down again, I'm sure. See how this thing really does go down once it officially begins. Thanks, man. Sounds good. Thanks for having me. Dustin DePurak joins us. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Joining us now via the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline, he's one half of KB and Andy, the morning wake-up call. And as uh, Sweebo, Andy Sweeney, 
has referenced him already today, privately to me, the wet blanket of the two. Kevin Bowen joins us. Hello, Kevin. How are you? Hello, wet blanket. The wet blanket God. joins us now. Hello, wet blanket. God, that's a ringing endorsement. Is that is that what he's saying behind behind my back? There? The wet blanket. I didn't like I didn't want that deal. You're talking about timelines and draft capital and what may or may not happen in 2029. You're a wet blanket, according to Sweebo. Boy, I don't know if I would agree with all of that. I might have to have a word with him for three hours tomorrow morning. Um, yeah, I would say a uh, tad bit of skepticism, certainly. Uh, and honestly, probably before you get into timeline and you know age and um, injury history, I, I'd start more with just the exact fit. You know, To me, the biggest question we've harped on for 40 games is defense, defense, defense. Um, I don't know necessarily if a guy that I think his defense has waned a little bit from where it was, uh, you know, whatever, back in their title run or even in recent years, if this all of a sudden, you know, helps you out on that end of the floor, especially when you are giving up, you know, a guy that, you know, I think everybody thought <laughs> the reason why he was brought here, Bruce Brown, was to help you out defensively. Um, I think seeing the deal in itself, you know, and the fact that they didn't give up really any of the young guys that you really like or intrigued by or have everyone describe it, you know, Matherin and, and Nemhard and, you know, even Jairus Walker way too early to bail on him. Uh, even Buddy Heald from an expiring standpoint, I know he's not young. Um, I think that gives me a little bit more reassurance, but um, yeah, I, I, I still just look at it and think certainly offensively, he can go get you a bucket and it's done at a really high level. Um, but I, I, I don't, you know, if it's OG Ananobi, I, I think I'm doing jumping jacks. Um, this to me, given age and given again, not that, you know, dominant wing defender, uh, that's where I, I don't have the same sort of feeling. I, I think again, it, it is, it is what they're doing right now that I love. And I also love the fact that they have told, and now they are showing Tyrese Halliburton exactly how they approach this franchise in terms of moving forward and and winning and doing the best for him since he decided to you know take on that extension and be a part of this for the long term i i just think kev when you look at this deal for face value if you would have shown me this deal you know the two players on the team and the three picks and you would have told me that the pacers turned it down i'd have been all kinds of pissed like if matherin was on it i get it i I wouldn't want to trade matherin I, i would kicking and screaming even you know consider Walker but with this deal giving up what you're giving up for that type of player already established to me I don't know how you couldn't do it I'd be pissed if they didn't yeah I I think you know the re-sign of him and giving him that max extension is curious to me I mean that that is a huge commitment and obviously theoretically you don't make this deal if you don't have some sort of reassurance on it but, you know, again, five years and $250 million to a guy going into his 30s, I mean, that's a big, big commitment. For, again, a player that if you look at his injury history, I mean, it's been about 12 to 15 games every year. And post-30, does that all of a sudden rise to, you know, 20-ish games? Something around – I think those are all things you just got to be honest with yourself. But certainly the message you send to Halliburton, and I would be stunned if Halliburton didn't have major sign-off on this uh, – you can't ignore it because that's what matters, honestly, in today's NBA, a lot of it, especially in a market like this. So certainly you, you, you've told Matherin that you're willing to swing. It's just, it's probably just the, the type of swing where, you know, I, I just can't sit here and give it whatever, an A plus or, you know, a solid A. I, I just have a little bit of skepticism around that. Um, I do think, you know, Siakam, again, is an extremely gifted offensive player. And, you know, maybe come playoff time, 
I should probably pay more attention to that sort of stuff when, you know, all of a sudden the scouting report takes away everything. And it comes down to a lot of individual playmakers. And, you know, Siakam is very unique in how he scores, you know, 20, 25 a game. Um, you know, he does it in kind of a, almost at times a little bit of a throwback way, and, and he's very crafty, and, you know, he, he's not necessarily some whatever high-flying athlete or, you know, going to hit 45% from behind the arc. But, you know, maybe that is something that, um, again, I should pay more attention to and alleviate some of that off of Halliburton's plate when those moments do do arise. Um, so, yeah, I'll, I'll be obviously super curious how that plays out when it gets there. And, you know, I think as long as you maintain a playoff team, you know, giving up the draft picks isn't too extreme. You know, all of them have super high, high protection. I saw Tony East tweet that out earlier. They're all pretty much, um, or I should say the two picks of your own are all top three and top four protected. So uh, as long as you make the playoffs, you know, that's not too much of a worry at all. Um, But yeah, I, I think, you know, there are a few more questions to be answered with the deal. And I also look at it and think, is there something else coming in the next few weeks? Because, well, and that's the other thing, you know, too. They maintain flexibility if they want to, to do something else. And like I said, I, I understand what you're talking about, you know, Supermax and how much you're going to pay him. Or, but I, I just I want, to, I want to see how it works first, and I'm glad that they added to this. I, I just think this deal with what they gave up, I'm willing to look at it, and then you know we'll live in the world down the road. I think when we get down the road, does that make sense to you? And the flexibility is a part of that. If you want to look at it in the now, is also very important to me. Yeah, I think they certainly still have maintained flexibility for the next couple of weeks. I think once you get past this and you hand him the type of max extension that I assume, in all likelihood, he will get, you know, that certainly limits how big of a swing you can take in the next couple of years. Um, but again, for the next few weeks. I mean, just on paper, frankly, there's just no playing time for Obi Toppin and Jalen Smith. So you would think that one of those would be packaged. Again, do you move Buddy Heald? Um, I know from an offensive standpoint, it's super enticing to probably put Buddy Heald and Pascal Siakam together and give him a shooter that really Toronto, you know, I guess maybe had with Fred Van Vliet, but, you know, hasn't had next to Siakam in a while, um, you know, Scotty Barnes and OG Ananobi, I don't think, you know, it stretched the floor necessarily for that reason there. Um, so I am you know, very interested to see what the next couple of weeks hold. But I, I, I think today's swing is certainly, you know, I, I, you and I have had this conversation, John. I look at Halliburton in the six years that you have him under contract, you're probably going to get two big swings at it, really big. You know, th- th- this is a huge swing. This is an all-NBA, you know, type of talent, and obviously – you know what? Whether you gave up what you gave up for him, but more so, type of contract you're about to hand him indicates that as well. Um, so this is the big one. And again, for me, I probably would have been a little bit more of an OG Ananobi guy, certainly based off age and based off skill set. Um, but at the same time, I can totally sit here and acknowledge for a small market team, it does send a very positive message to Tyrese Halliburton. Now, ultimately, you know, winning is going to be you know how that message is ultimately. Re- receive but in the short term yeah i mean halliburton certainly has got to be a big fan of it because i i would say you know there's no way shape or form the franchise does something of this magnitude without some sort of you know positive reinforcement from their star wojnarowski had said that they wanted both ananobi and siakam just didn't have enough 
to do them both. And then I will tell you this, I, I, I want them to keep Matherin. I like Matherin, not maybe not as much as you love Matherin, but I like Matherin a great deal. I didn't want to see him in any part of this. And you saw what the Knicks you know, had to give up to end up getting Ananobi. So there was no way in the world you were going to get away with Toronto, you know, not giving up a guy like Matherin in that case. So uh, another reason why I'm okay with it. Yeah, it's, uh, it's really two very different looking deals. I mean, if you look at the Knicks, I mean, they gave up, I, I guess in a way, they give up maybe like their equivalent of Matherin and Nemhard. I, I, I don't know. Maybe that's too. Yeah. Maybe that it, analogy it, yes, doesn't make exactly. sense. Yeah. But. Uh, and obviously, you know, Toronto wants picks, too. If I'm not mistaken, I don't think they have their first-rounder for this year, or maybe it, in all likelihood will not be there. So they certainly wanted to get something here in this year's draft. Um, so, yeah, and, you know, I, I don't know if it's just agent talk, but, I mean, certainly the agent, you know, has leaked to some various national people that it sounds like, you know, Siakam's very open-minded to wanting to be here. And, of course, the money is the most here. I, You know, I, I think in an ideal, ideal world, you know, you would get Siakam playing at a very, very high level um, for the next, you know, whatever, two to three years. And then at some point in that contract, you could kind of pass the torch to Jairus Walker for being, you know, that, that foreman of the future. And, and I, I should say that I think is another positive of the deal, John, that I haven't mentioned. Well, no, that. you're trying to talk yourself into it. So you're trying not to be a wet blanket like your partner in the morning says right here. Yeah. Gosh, Listen to you try to talk yourself into it. You're trying to join well, us all in the world of fun and not hang, hang out in the doom say, and gloom of what happens in 2030. I was about to say soggy blanket, but that sounds just as bad as a freaking wet blanket there. And that honestly sounds worse now that I think about it there. Are you guys uh, going to fight in the morning? Blanket. I just hope I've inspired some sort of fight in the morning. Have I done that? <laughs> I think you have. I, I need Sweet. to jot this down to make sure that, uh, that I remember it in the morning. Um I mean, you and I have talked about this for years, John. I mean, what's the four position look like? You know, what's the power forward look like? Uh, you know, that's been, you know, a problem. I, I don't know. Unless I'm forget- I guess maybe Thad Young, you know, put a little bit of a Band-Aid on it. But you've been thinking about that probably since David West, really. So uh, that is another element to you. But, again, defense remains a qu- – like, are, are we ignoring the biggest question? And have you almost embraced just like, hey – it's going to be get to 140, get to 150. Like, that's kind of the goal. Um, I don't think you can ignore the age and the injury questions. I mean, if you look at Siakam's career, you know, for the most part, over the past four to five years, it's been a pretty routine. He's missing 12 to 15 games. And, again, now that he's into that age 30 coming up, you know, does that grow any? Um, and, and, yeah, certainly you and I have had many jokes. Yeah, and, and I can't – I can't. when you talk about missed games, I don't even want to get into that because, like, Halliburton misses a crap ton of games so far. I, that, I, don't, want, I don't even want to think about that. And I know we're talking about two different players here. But when you get into that, I, I, I guess I, I'm glad they did it in the moment and I'm trying to do it without thinking about how many games these dudes are going to miss because ultimately most of them end up missing a lot of games. And it's, it's about trying to survive during that time like they're doing right now. Sure, but I think ignoring injury history is just kind of a naive way to completely look at it. I mean, the reason why Buddy Heald is so coveted is because the dude doesn't miss games. The reason why Malcolm Brogdon is on his umpteenth team for the last handful of years is because he misses a ton of games. So, you know, at, sure, at times, is it injury luck? Is it injury, you know, is it, can it be a bit of a flip of a coin? Yeah, but again, you know, that is a big part of it. And again, I think that's why Buddy Heald is 
so darn attractive and why he ranks you know, right up there with the Steph Curry's of the world and some of these three-point numbers because he's able to be out there every single night. And, you know, again, a guy like Brogdon, you know, those two just seem to be fresh in my mind. That's why he has been so expendable to all of these teams. And, and you know, again, the last point to me, and you and I have poked fun at this, and, you know, certainly it's half serious – half not of the whole draft pick element to it. I mean, the reason you can pull off a trade like this is because you did accumulate draft picks and you did put yourself in a position to make a move. And I look at it like, again, more of an Ananobi type, whether that's age, whether that's defense first, that to me has me jumping up and down. This type of move, I get it. I understand it. I think there are some reasons to have some optimism, but you know, I, I'm not, you know, whatever, parade around Georgia Street tomorrow. I guess the reason why I brought up Halliburton is is if you're going to make up an argument regarding Siakam, which is correct, you can make up the same argument regarding Halliburton. He's missed a lot of time, you know. And and I'm just I'm just telling you, sometimes in this, Kev, I guess I've been around the block too much. You can't be afraid of everything here. And I'm not suggesting you are at all. I know that you're also outlining a lot of the good aspects of it. Um, but I just don't think you can – like, I'm, I'm sick of teams around here being afraid of crap, and I'm okay if they go for it. If, if it ends up crapping out, then it ends up crapping out, and I'll have to eat a bunch, and you and Sweebo can come at me, and, and that'll be – I'll deserve it. But I'm not going to sit here and, and just be doom and gloom that a team you know, like the Pacers are finally doing something – that I'm happy and they're doing or something like we've talked about the Colts trying to, you know, get up off their rear end and having Chris Ballard think about a, a different way to go about it and a different philosophy. Um, I'm entertained by this. I really am. And I, I don't know what it holds in the future, but at least for the right now, you know, I, I'm happy that they got up and they did something with what you just talked about, the draft capital that they have built. You've done something with that while also having the flexibility to still maybe do something a little bit more, and now you're going to see how this all fits together. So I, I kind of refuse to go, I guess, doom and gloom angle on the injury aspect of it. Yeah, and, and I, I, I don't know. Maybe I'm being total doom and gloom. I hope I'm not coming off as total doom and gloom with it. I'm trying to point out just some areas that – I don't, if you're going to make me give a letter grade again, it's not like an A plus in my mind uh, for this sort of deal. Um, I'm very much team swing. I mean, I've been saying it for years with the Colts for that example. It's time to take a swing at quarterback uh, to disservice to your franchise when you refuse to commit to that. And finally they did take that swing. And for the Pacers sake, yeah, I, I am a fan of taking a swing. I mean, I just said it to you and Anobi to me is the guy that, you know, I, I've certainly, been a fan of. I mean, you and I have a conversation even a little bit earlier. I get that there's reasons why people were, were against it. Age probably being the biggest one. Uh, but again, from a defensive standpoint, like I was willing to listen to a Drew Holiday con- conversation. And again, I, I, know, I get that there are a lot of people that were against that. And there's probably some good reason for that. Um, but for me, I also thought we kind of got into this corner. I think it happens every year around the trade deadline, John, that we get so focused on like one player, we act like that's the only guy that could be available in the next, whatever, few weeks, few months, however you, want, however you want to look at it. I mean, if you think back to Halliburton being traded to the Pacers a couple of years ago, there were so many reports leading into that trade deadline that, you no, know, the Kings are building around De'Aaron Fox and Tyrese Halliburton. Then all of a sudden, boom, this happens, that happens, Halliburton's available, and really the shape of this franchise, frankly, has largely changed forever really with Halliburton now coming here. And I thought his Team USA experience 
was not something to overlook at all. I thought he may, and, you know, Carlisle said it to us late in his interview this morning, of there are a lot of great players in the NBA that want to play for Tyrese Halliburton. And I think for the next couple of years, a move like this probably takes you out of those sweepstakes. With a lot, I don't know, you know, maybe they can finagle away to, you know, find another one of those guys onto the roster, but it's going to be difficult. And I thought to myself, man, if you can just be patient here and whatever, again, maybe another name appears by the trade deadline in a few weeks, or if not, maybe he gets the off season. And again, another one of those types of names starts to appear, uh, you know, IE maybe even from the team USA experience where Halliburton had a direct impact with so many of those guys in a positive manner. Does that better fit Halliburton's age where the real needs are on your basketball team? That's kind of where I, it almost seemed like we got to a point with Siakam where it was like, this is it. And we all were going to be like really fed up and really mad if it didn't happen. Um, but I, I just think there are, there can be players like this, not, not every day by any means, but there can be players like this that appear when a lot of teams realize, oh boy, we've got to start over. And clearly Toronto wasn't necessarily there 12 months ago, 12 months later, they've traded away, you know, two of their marquee best players. So Kevin Bowen, the morning show, KB and Andy, the morning wake-up call, as Andy Sweeney has said, the wet blanket joins me on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. I will say this. Um, I I like this deal, and I'm enthusiastic about it, certainly, because of the components of it in the now. And when you brought up Halliburton in that trade uh, of years ago that brought him from Sacramento to here, I would fair guess that, that nobody even thought about what type of player he was going to be at the time, right? We we agree with that. Do you have any idea what he was going to be? Uh, and this is an odd argument because we're talking about two different age demographics altogether with players. But I also like it because you do know, especially from a scoring side, what you're getting with this guy and, and what addition he is going to be, the threat he is going to be to a team that needs something like that. I, I understand what you want in – out of Ananobi defensively, and that's great. But when you look at Siakam, he's like eight more points a game than Ananobi, and that can also help this team. I know they need to be better defensively. I just don't know ultimately how much better with Ananobi. I don't know how much better with Maurice Lucas or Gary Payton they're going to be defensively. (laughs) But I do know if you add some scoring ability, that can also help and we have seen this defense getting better in the last, I don't know, three, four weeks, month, what have you. So I, I just I think the more and more I look at, as you mentioned, the swing that they took, the more and more I like it for the now of face value because you never really know. We didn't know when they made that deal for Halliburton, but we do now. Yeah, I'll go back to something I think Tony East said. I, hell, it might have been with you, John, but maybe it was us in the morning where last year, if you look at round one in the playoffs, I think of the you know, eight teams obviously advanced out of round one, seven of the eight were top half in defense, and the one was Golden State. And obviously, historically, it, it kind of speaks for themselves what they've done offensively. So um, I think at some point, just that end of the floor has got to be of more focus. I mean, hell, wasn't that a big reason why you thought $20 million for Bruce Brown was was worth it? Um, and and I, I think that is the calling card at some point when you get into the postseason. Now, I watched that Boston game, and specifically, you know, the night that Halliburton got hurt, 
And, you know, there were moments in that game where literally Drew Holiday just, like, had his back turned to the rest of the action, just, like, so focused on Halliburton. And it was almost like a four-on-four game at time. And and now it's like, okay, if you do have a Siakam, there is part of me that's like, well, that helps you better equip and handle, you know, an opposing team saying, all right, we are going to do everything we can to take away Tyrese Halliburton because we just don't think they have a Robin. And, you know, Certainly, there's a plenty of reason to think Siakam can be that. Um, I just think come playoff time, it, it's a little bit more on that defensive end. Of, and certainly in the East, you know, when you look atop the conference, you know, I don't need to tell you who those wings are. And, you know, it's a huge reason probably why Miami got on the run last year with what Jimmy Butler was able to do. So, um, you, you can certainly look at it both sides. You can look at it as you have, you know, Tyrese has his Robin for the next X amount of years, and that's what you need. You need another sidekick. Or you could also look at it and say, defensively, uh, does this continue to put you near the basement of the NBA? And, again, if you go off last year, uh, defense was a huge, huge reason why uh, those teams advanced in the playoffs. Ken, uh, is it your estimation here that can Siakam just not guard a chair? Because that's how you're describing it. Can he not guard his own shadow? Is he that bad defensively now? No, I don't think he's that bad at all. Um, I think it's – you're trained away with what arguably your best perimeter defender, and I don't think all. The well, let's face it, we didn't. We didn't. I mean, did you, how, how often did you see that? How often did you see? I, I, yeah, I mean, I, I thought Bruce Brown certainly when you asked him to you know, guard Tatum, things like that, struggle. But I thought he did a great job on Damian Lillard in those various matchups. Um, again, from a height standpoint, it's probably a little bit more on that Lillard front. Um, but I, I, that, that's where again I have that question of we've talked about defense for forty games. We've talked about how. The scheme isn't working. You're trying all these different things, and now all of a sudden it gets kind of thrown out the window um, with this move. And I'm like, wait, you know, are we just now not going to act like that was an issue for this team? And, you know, I don't know. Maybe there's been a resurgence in the last month. I mean, Rick Carlisle said to us a big part of the last month that he thought he kind of spearheaded it was Bruce Brown getting back and getting healthy. So, again, it's like are we all of a sudden just going to push all of that to the side uh, to me, that'd be, again, a little bit naive to, to do. I don't think Siakam is, you know, a buddy heel type of defender, however, or, I mean, hell, Halliburton type of defender. I don't think that at all. Uh, but I do think his defense has not been, you know, where it was back, you know, in their championship type of runs. And if it continues to wane, um, again, how much does that end of the floor become a question mark when you're facing the Giannis's, Tatum's, Browns, et cetera? Let me tell you this. It's going to be a question mark whomever's out there trying to guard those dudes you're talking about. Let's just face it. It just is. I, just, I, I don't – like, I can't tell you because I have not analyzed his defense, but I, I'd like to think that he could be a little bit more competent than that, I guess. I guess, than what is described. But, yeah, again, Kevin Bowen joins us on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline as BT do and Swebo described him as the moist blanket. You're now the moist blanket. You're moist. <laughs> Again, soggy, moist, or wet. I'm not sure if I want to be any of the above. I'm glad we laugh about the best out of all those. <laughs> I'm just, I'm getting them right here because people like what we're doing with the back and forth here, so it's, it's good. <laughs> hey, I did want to give a bit of a laugh before we got into this final thing. I'm not going to bring up IU and, and Purdue with you, even though you were sitting in Ellettsville last night for that game. It looked like you had a hell of a view uh, for bad IU basketball and really good Purdue basketball. But um, TMZ had that report regarding Jim Irsay. And, and and you and I a little bit had had this conversation, and uh, you know, people have asked me, and, and I know you guys commented on it this morning. I, I, 
I am. I was incredibly worried about his condition right now with the upper respiratory, the severe upper respiratory situation. But just everything that's going on with Jim Irsay right now, I, I am as as worried as I absolutely can be about everything right now. And I, I'm assuming this is some common ground in this conversation we can find. Yeah, I, I would agree whole, wholeheartedly. Certainly. Um... You know, Carly and Casey and Kaylin and the daughters and everybody over there. I mean, you, you, anytime, you know, a human is dealt with the type of, you know, medical issues, scares, everyone describe it that he has in his life. Um, and now is going through this that, yeah, I mean, without question, I mean, 64 years old. I mean, I know, you know, you can look at that and it's very, very young. But at the same time, I mean, I look at some of my friends and their parents are around that age. And unfortunately, they're no longer here for whatever health reason. Um, and again, I look at them and think that they probably haven't been through everything that Jim Mercer has been through medically in his life. Um, I, I, I think the analogy kind of makes sense, John, but I said it this morning, and you know Jim Mercer about as well as anybody in this market. It, imagine what it would take for Jim Mercer to miss the biggest game inside of Lucas Oil Stadium at nine years. Like when you think about him not being there last Saturday against the Texans. And everything that whatever that organization, you know, could do or is willing to do or, you know, certainly all the help to, to get him there and do it in a very incognito manner or, you know, I mean, hell, you know, wheel him in some sort of hospital bed, as crazy as that sounds, you know, to get him there. Uh, that obviously means that something, you know, very serious is, is going on. And, you know, for the cult statement to say severe respiratory illness, we've seen a lot of PR statements yeah. over the years, severe respiratory illness, especially in the winter months. You know, it's nothing, I think, to kind of turn your head at and, and act like whatever. Um, you know, he'll be fine tomorrow. And I, I guess there's part of the press release that was like, well, he's you know not going to perform Thursday at the concert. I'm like, well, this isn't like John Mayer losing his voice. This is a big deal. Um, so, yes, I, I certainly am right there with you on that end. And, again, the entire family and, and the Colts family as well, thinking about them and, and, and certainly hope Jim can make as speedy of recovery as, as possible, even though – um, you know, I think there's plenty of signs to look at and think this is going to be a long recovery. Yeah. Well, um, do you think because of this, will we hear or will they hear in this case from the NFL about this, you think? or Because I, I know the Colts just kind of re-released what they had said most recently about what Jim is going through. But will the NFL, you think, address what TMZ came out with report-wise further down the road? Honestly, the NFL part I am curious about is like if there is link and you know owners meetings. I guess the big one is late March. You know, do you get a statement from the league that like okay, you know, Carly Ursay is it's not the right term, but is in charge of Colts mat you know manner matters or is is whatever you know she is the voter for the Colts in those you know league meetings. If I'm not mistaken, I think when you know he was. Suspended back in 2014. I think the league came out with that for her. Um, I think it was spring meetings back then, or maybe it was winter meetings. Um, I kind of forget. But that, to me, is a little bit more of I, – I would think the Colts can handle it how they would like. Um, I think the league would give the team the right to do that. But when we get to those league meetings in late March, if this is still um, an issue, then that is kind of what I am curious about. So, uh, Kevin Bowen, the morning wake-up call – Maybe a little spicy because of what Swebo, the the wet blanket that is now the moist blanket, Kevin Bowen, on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. Make everybody's morning. All right, bring that moistness 
with you about this Kevin trade. Kevin Moist Blanket Bowen. Don't know if that uh, that's that's what I want. Uh, maybe I should change my opinion now in in, in, in hearing how you. Uh, no, you don't do that. Me. Don't do that. Uh, <laughs> don't do that. No, go with. I don't want. To, that's not my intention whatsoever. But uh, a spirited conversation it, it was, man. I appreciate that very much, and especially you know, going back and forth on uh, a situation that uh, you know we've unfortunately heard about um, and, and been through before regarding Jim Irsay and, and hoping for the best uh, with him and all involved, man. It's tough. It really is. It is. Yeah, best to Jim, best to his family and the Colts yeah. family as well. Yep. And uh, as always, John, enjoyed the combo. Thank you, buddy. We'll be listening in the morning. Appreciate you. All right, see you. That's the uh, moist blanket right there, Kevin Bowen. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Andy Moore, Automotive Group, Pipeline, Pigs.com, friend of the show, Jeff Rabjohns, regarding a rap on last night. Hello, Jeff. How are you? Fantastic. How are you doing, bud? I want to thank you for the flexibility because we've kind of jacked you around a little bit here recently because of breaking news and such, and, and thanks for being cool with it. Oh, of course, man. Hey, life requires in-game adjustments sometimes, too, man. Never worry. Well, uh, speaking of which, <laughs> speaking of which, let's start right there. I, I No, I actually, I want to start with you've got the biggest game at home on the schedule against your rival, um, the slow start and really the lack of enthusiasm, where do we start with that level of concern that we saw on the IU side of things last night? I mean, I didn't think the first few minutes were that terrible. Uh, you know, McKenzie Overall, first half, is I, first half, I guess, is what I'm talking about, too. Just with you kind of being – looked like they went through spurts where they were really flat to me. Not at the beginning, and you're right about that. Yeah, I mean, I think the biggest thing was – you know, Mike Woodson went to, you know, the auto bench with two fouls. You know, Mbako goes out there, gets seven points in the first five minutes, gets his second foul, gets benched for most of the rest of the first half. You know, how many fouls does he end up with? Two. So that decision is almost like fouling out your own player by choice for much of the first half. A little bit similar with Chloe Ware. He didn't really have it going, but he was at least going to give you some chance. And, you know, he got auto-benched uh, for an extended stretch in the first half with two fouls. How many fouls did he end up with? Three. So I think a little bit of that was, you know, the auto-benching, which the analytics have shown for, what, 10, 15 years now? It's just not a, not a good idea, you know, because a lot of times players don't even get to their fourth foul. So playing them makes more sense. So I think that was a little bit of it. Um, and, you know, let's give Purdue some credit here. This is a fantastic team that Purdue has. I know IU fans are going to yell at me for saying that. It's true. Okay. Uh, Fletcher Lawyer, Braden Smith, better than they were last year. I know Braden had a bad game last night. I think it's 0 for 6 from 3. But overall, his play has been better. Um, you know, they brought in a transfer who has fitted very well to what they do and how they do it. Um, Zach Eady playing like a national player of the year. Uh, Trey Kaufman ran Caleb first a little hot and cold, but usually they get good production from at least one of them. Uh, Purdue is really, really good. But from the Indiana standpoint, when you're playing a rival at home, you shouldn't have the lulls that you had. And I think I think putting Mbako and Ware on the bench for an extended stretch in the first half was a big piece of that because that was when Purdue went from, you know, having a lead, um, clearly playing better basketball, to all of a sudden up 20. Um, that game was decided in the first half. It was over, okay? 
IU made a nice little run there, 17-7, start the second half, got close. Yeah. But the, the that game was decided in the first half. So, Jeff Rabjohns at Peaks.com. So, you bring up this point, and I want to play off of it. I remember um, going back to year number one when you were asked people uh, in and around the program, you know, I said, what's, what's Mike Woodson really have to learn? You know, what's some of his biggest issues? And they all suggested it's still that, that NBA coaching type of attitude and philosophy that he's gained in so many years in coaching at whatever level in the NBA. And you bring up his philosophy, which is longstanding been the NBA philosophy, two fouls and your bench, no matter the circumstances. Why has he not seen those analytics that you speak of? Why has he not changed that philosophy, especially with this group where you know that you cannot withstand a blitz like Purdue put on you at the end of that half, and in large part that was due to your two main guys on the bench with two fouls? Yeah, I mean, that's a a key question sitting here in January um, of 2024. And to be fair, though, he, he kind of didn't do it against Kansas. You know, he really rode his horses for longer stretches against Kansas. And that was IU's best performance against an elite team. Now, IU led in the second half, only lost 75, 71. I understand they lost, but, but they played a lot of good basketball in that game. Um, so it's going to be interesting moving forward. You know, does Woodson make that adjustment? Because I think it's one that clearly would help IU. You know, you look at the roster. And this is a team that the starters are clearly better than the bench players. And you can see that in, if you want to go to the analytics and be nerdy like I am, great. You can also just watch the team play and say, okay, they're better with where, Renault, Mbako, and then the main guys on the floor. They're just better. So with this particular roster construction, it just makes more sense to have your lead guys out there much more. Uh, and I think one of the things is, like, in the NBA, they do have to manage minutes. It's an 82-game season. In college, 30-some regular season games. NBA, a number of guys are 30 years old and older. you got to manage their minutes, even some of the guys around 28 or so. You don't want to burn them out at, at the end of seasons. Uh, in college, you mainly have guys who are 18 to 22. You're playing twice a week. So it's just a different situation as far as age of players, length of schedule, number of times you play per week. And I think that's one of the things that we've seen with some NBA guys who come into college. Um, you know, they would they would even talk about, well, I got to manage minutes. Well, do you? I mean, look at what Bill Self's doing with his Kansas roster. Their starters this year significantly better than the bench most of the time. Got a couple guys who are who are playing well here and there, but for the most part, there have been games where he's had three or more starters play 35 minutes or more. He's had a number of games where he's had starters play 38 minutes or more. So I think in college there are times. If you don't have a bench to where a bench can really help you, then sometimes you just have to ride your horses. Here's a Jeff Rabjohns of Peaks.com. Are you a loser last night at home to Purdue? He's talking about that and more here on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline. I was curious about this when, when I found out you were coming on. Where they are right now, considering wins and losses, how far are they off? with what you thought at the start of the season, or is it in the neighborhood of what you thought? Um, I mean, yeah, it's in the neighborhood. Um, I didn't think they would lose to Nebraska. I didn't think they would lose to Rutgers. Um, I, I did not think they would beat Connecticut, Auburn, or Kansas, or Purdue. Uh, those, those four programs are clearly on a different level than IU is right now. 
Um, but I thought IU, you know, was would would be able to, you know, get enough out of the front court, have enough backcourt play. And I really thought with with the length that they have, I thought they might use some defensive pressure. You know, you know, run and jump guys, do a little half court trap, maybe a little token one step over uh, half court to kind of like make people feel pressure as they get the ball up up the court, slow them down. Uh, make them do some work to get into their offense. Then maybe they've only got 15 seconds on the clock when they really start trying to get into a set instead of 20 or 22. I thought they'd be able to speed people up a little more. Um, but the big thing for for Indiana though is um, they are where they are, so they got to figure out a way to get some wins. And you know, the Big Ten's not great this year, um, so it's not like a bad Big Ten record is going to be you know real palatable to the selection committee come come selection Sunday. But I think Indiana's really got to find a way to to not only get some wins, um, but I think it's probably, unless they go on a big-time run, I think they need to get a, a marquee win or two. I mean, they have no quad one wins right now. Uh, they got a chance for several. Uh, but they're certainly going to need to get some quality wins. They're going to need to get wins, uh, just just wins, first of all. you got to have enough wins. But I think they're going to need to get some, some quality wins, too, or, um, you know, uh, I mean, right now the analytics project IU to finish eight and twelve in the Big Ten. That's not even going to get you in the conversation for the NCAA tournament. So they, they have a, they have a lot of work to do here over the last two months of the season. A lot of work, uh, Jeff. Certainly, I've heard a lot from from fans, from former players regarding you know Mike Woodson, where he is right now, coaching this team. Um, what was expected, where he is, how is he doing? I'll ask you, following the program as much as you do, where is he? not only with this group, but where you thought he was going to be when he was first hired um, with this program right now. How, how is he as the coach to this point, according to what you thought it was going to be with him? Sure. I mean, I'll start by saying this. I always let seasons and coaching tenures play out. You know, we, we've seen plenty of seasons where people have struggled and then they've made some adjustments, put it together, and done well. So we're sitting here uh, January 17th. Um, so I'll let the season play out, and we'll let you know a coaching tenure play out. But it's fair to look at comparable examples. And, okay, what has happened to date? It is very fair to look at observable results. You know, Mike Woodson's in year three. Uh, Indiana is ranked 88th in Bart Torvik, 88th. Uh, Marquette, year three under Shaka Smart, top 15 Bart Torvik. Uh, Cincinnati, year three under West, top 40 Bart Torvik. Um, and they just beat two national top 25 teams, including a top 15 team. Um, and in some of their other games, you know, they've been competitive. Lost by three to number 14 Baylor. Lost by one to number 25 Texas. So it is very fair to look at, okay, who are some people in year three? What are they doing? Um, so I think, you know, Indiana certainly is not where it had hoped to be in year three. And, you know, to anticipate your follow-up question, why – uh, the number of reasons, I think one of them is um, they didn't hit enough uh, in recruiting or in the transfer portal on guards and wings. They need more guys who can make shots, who can create on the perimeter, who can handle the ball versus pressure, who can get defenders off balance, create passes, and create scoring opportunities. You know, if, like, let's say you took uh, Peyton Sparks, and nothing against Peyton Sparks, great kid, we're talking positions here, positions. If you took a backup center and made that a shooting guard or a wing, that helps IU. Um, they got an open scholarship. So if they fill that with a guard or a wing for the transfer portal, now you're talking two more guards or wings. That changes IU's team. 
But I think one of the biggest things that happened to why is IU where it is right now, uh, the roster is a little too front court heavy, and it does not have nearly enough guards and wings who are shot makers, shot creators, or who can get defenders off balance and attack off a dribble. I think that I think that is the number one thing this off season that that Mike Woodson has to ha, has to change. I think that's the biggest thing. You got to kind of flip the roster, more guards and wings. You want to be good on the front court, but we've seen plenty of teams over the years in college basketball who have had good front courts, bad back courts. They don't win a lot of games. They don't do anything in the NCAA tournament. So I think getting more guards and wings who can create shots, create for others, tack off the dribble. They can be slashers. They can be shooters. You can get some of each. But Indiana has to improve its guards and wings over the offseason. Hey, Jeff, in closing here, has Mike Woodson and his staff a, a false sense of trust in Xavier Johnson? Have we seen that? You know, maybe. Um, and, uh, you know, uh, it's one of those things where, you know, Xavier and, you know, he's had some good moments here and there. Um, you know, he really has, but obviously his, his behavior at the Rutgers game, clearly a problem. Um, you know, getting another flagrant shortly after getting a flagrant two and getting tossed, clearly a problem. Um, you know, your point guard, your normal starting point guard, I realize Gabe Cups has started for him, uh, you know, at times, but he's your normal starting point guard. For him to go scoreless against your rival, um, that's clearly a problem. So they need to get him back into a good, good space, you know, mentally and good space emotionally, uh, because he's he's really the only perimeter player that IU has who really can turn the corner in the ball screen, who can really get downhill. You know, the way he played with Trace Jackson Davis, um, Trace's junior year, you know, kind of the run they made at the end of the year, the games they won in the NCAA tournament. That's the Xavier Johnson that, that Indiana really, really needs down the stretch. Um, I don't know if that's going to be enough, but that certainly would give them a better opportunity uh, here down the stretch. But that's that's a big key for this final, you know, two two months, two and a half months, whatever is going to be left for Indiana for this season this year. Again, I'm sorry for messing around with you and moving you around for the past couple of days. Um, my bad that's on that. Right. But we'll uh, we'll catch up on a day that's not so uh, robust with breaking news too. And uh, oh, that's good happens. news for the Pacers. That's yeah. big. I like that trade. Good. Like See, you're not a wet blanket like Kevin Bowen is on this show. So well I, done. I like the move. I, it's a very aggressive move. There is some calculated risk, but you're going out there and getting somebody who can play. Um, who I really think pairs well with Halliburton. He's your stud who you build around, but you got to have some other studs. One stud don't get it done, not in the NBA. So I like the move, and I like the fact the Pacers are trying to be as aggressive as you can for the dollars that you have in a mid-major market. No wet blanket, no moist blanket right here. Thank you. Jeff Rabjohnsonpeaks.com, man. Thanks again for uh, adjusting the time. Always, always good talking to you. Hope to see you soon, my friend. On the Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline. Speaking of winning, the head coach of my Indiana State Sycamores, another one last night over Missouri State over in Paradise. It's awesome to watch the Sycamores play. Josh Schertz is their head coach. He joins us now. Hello, Coach. How are you? 
Hey, JMB, thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. I love how you say uh, my sycamores because we definitely are that. They are my sycamores. There's no doubt about that. And and winning at a high level clip. Before I get into this and and the state of your team right now, did you go up and talk to the uh, the student that hit that full court putt last night for ten grand? That that might be out of all the things I've ever seen done. That might be from a degree of difficulty to win ten thousand dollars, like the hardest thing I've ever seen. (laughs) <laughs> that's got to be harder than a full court shot. I mean, he putted from one of the court to the other. Yeah, uh, on on wood, and it's not even like it's it's even. It's got its dead spots, and it's it's not even slanted a little bit. You know, I mean, I don't know what the you could probably let me do that seriously a million times. I wouldn't even come close. And the crazy part was the holes on the right and left, which were just an inch or two off, were worth a hundred dollars. Had it gone through those, he hit it through the dead center for ten thousand. I mean, it was. It was amazing. It didn't touch either side either. It was center squared up. And you're right. Can you imagine what the floor would have been like had they used to back when I was at Indiana State? They would let, like, PE classes get out there on it and run around <laughs> in their cowboy boots. Can you imagine what that would have been like then? But that, no, it would have made, would... made it. It would have made it. got stuck midway through the roll. It would have just, like, got stuck in some gook, and it would have just uh, stopped uh, about midcourt. But I, I was I was in the, in the timeout. And, and obviously, uh, I, don't, I don't know what's going on. They have these, you know, promotions. And all of a sudden, I hear the crowd kind of, uh, and then just exploded. Like, I, I mean, that was maybe as loud as I've heard Holman. And, uh, and, and it was, that was well-deserved. That was, that was remarkable, uh, a remarkable deal. That could have been $10,000 to me. They, I think they got off cheap with that. Yeah. That, I, I, but can you imagine? I'm thinking about myself in 1992 or 93, in Terre Haute, having just won ten thousand dollars, yeah, <laughs> I you know it's 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 incredible. Like I've, I've uh, somebody told me it's been viral. It's been like on yeah. ESPN, CBS, and I mean it's it's uh, yeah. I don't know. I, I hope he's uh, who knows what he's going to do. He's he's uh, ten thousand dollars can take you a long way as a college student in Terre Haute. I can tell you that. Oh my, we would have we had major parties at Ethan Crawford anyway. Josh, I, I can't imagine with ten grand in my pocket the type of party we would have had at Ethan Crawford. Uh, his, I'll say this: his his social calendar, I believe, just got a heck of a lot busier here with uh, people wanting to, to to be his friend. So his, I want to hang out with him. Is what I'm going to try to do. Is just want to be. I don't necessarily need the money. I just want. I just want to be his sidekick. I believe. I believe his name. The student's name is uh, Cam Harden. That won the mm-hmm. ten grand on that inline to inline full court putt last night. Uh, that was during Indiana State's win. They're now six and one in the Mo Valley, fifteen and three overall. That win last night over Missouri State. Josh Schertz, their head coach on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. What do you like about what you see from your group right now? As we're really getting into the teeth of of Missouri Valley Conference season. Uh, I, I like, uh, you know, uh, for coaches, I think, you know, you always, you know, the, the, the talent or whatever, that, that's obviously the most important thing. But, you know, I think this group has kind of an uncommon maturity about it. Um, it's, got, it's got great emotional stability, um, which I know doesn't sound real sexy when you're talking about, like, stuff you like. But I think it's really important to winning. Um, you know, we, we, I, I was curious to see how we'd handle. You know, we went down to Drake. We led by seven second half. Really, Drake was terrific, and we were we were really probably played our worst ten minutes of the season. Got outscored thirty six to fourteen from the fifteen minute mark to the five minute mark of the second half. Lost the game by eleven, um, and uh, I want to see how we'd respond. And I I, I thought we would, um, but it goes back to these guys. Uh, you know the, the way they um, the kind of teammates they are, the way they support each other, the way they enjoy each other's success, how connected, how together they are. 
um, the way they handle winning and losing, the way they prepare. I like all that stuff. And I think all that stuff is what allows you to go from being a really good team to a championship team. I think that's the separators because it's not talent at this level and it's really not coaching. It's those kind of, you know, intangible things that you really don't know till you go through them. Yeah. I'm, Josh Church, the head coach of Indiana state joins us. It's like a puzzle. We talked about this last time that, that you, you put together and really you, you don't know what it looks like until the pieces start to be fit in the right place. I guess I would ask you, there seems a, a relative consistency with this group from start to where you are right now. That that has to kind of surprise you a little bit because it's, it's almost like a reboot every single year, collegiately speaking right now. And there is a great deal of unknown when you start a season. Are, are you a little surprised that they look to be well ahead of schedule at this point? Yeah, I think, you know, you, you have hopes, of course. Every every coach, you talk to them in, you know, uh, uh, in, in May and June, right, before they get there. And, you know, you got the uh, you got the second coming of the, uh, you know, like the, the 96 Bulls or, you know, the, the 2015 Warriors, you know, uh, uh, because you feel great about everybody. Um, but the reality is, like, for us, you know, we lost, I think, 83% of our scoring off last year's team. Um, most of it to graduation, our three leading scorers were seniors. Um, we had six seniors on the team, and five of them were in our top eight. So um, we knew we only had five players returning, and we had eight new scholarship guys. And um, I thought Isaiah Swope would be a great fit for us. I thought Ryan Conn would be a great fit for us. Um, but, you know, you, you, you recruit these guys, and you hope that the, the hard part with the portal is, is that, um, you know, where you make more mistakes, I think, is not so much in the talent. I don't think that's – as hard to gauge. I mean, I'm sure that happens sometimes, but it's really the, the, the cultural fits, the character fits, because, you know, as, as trite or cliche as that sounds like, you know, the runway in that recruitment is so much shorter than the runway with a high school kid. Um, and so you really have to, you, you know, guess right, I guess would be the, the right way to put it or do as much due diligence as you can to make sure you don't miss there because where I do think we've been good and, and, Jake Wolf, you know, we, we brought him in, and his role hasn't probably been what we expected or he expected. Um, Aaron Gray, who was two-time transfer, was cleared, and the same scenario for him. I would say both those guys, while they haven't maybe been on the court yet quite what we had expected coming in, I would say they've been exactly who we thought they were in the locker room. And what I mean by that is they haven't let their frustrations with their playing time affect their emotional investment in the team. They've been great teammates. They've been supportive. They've enjoyed their teammates' success. And if any frustration hasn't affected their work ethic and the way they operate, and that's where you can make mistakes. And I think we've, at least the last two years, been really fortunate to hit that right in the transfer portal, not just, hey, these guys fit our system. We think they're going to be impactful. Um, but, yeah, they also fit us culturally and what we're about. Uh, you know, in terms of how we operate on a day-to-day basis. It's, uh, Josh Schertz, the head coach of Indiana State, with us on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline. Again, 6-1 and one in the Missouri Valley, 15-3 and three overall. Maybe you get a, a little bit of a head start. You mentioned Isaiah Swope. You mentioned Ryan Conwell. How much helped you because obviously them being from the state of Indiana and certainly you saw up close and personal Isaiah and, and what he did for, for Southern Indiana a year ago. How much did that help you out knowing how good that fit might be for your group? 
Well, I think both those guys, it was huge. Isaiah, I saw him, like you said, he, he dropped a 28. That kid refuses to score more than 28. He always wants his career <laughs> high to be against Indiana State. I swear, I think he gets to 27, 26, 25, and then he just shuts down. He just never wants to beat that career high. Um, but, you know, I watched him play. And then, um, you know, when he was going into the portal, we had, two, we had a couple of connections there with Sam Mervis, Nick Hittle, who played here at Indiana State. Uh, and my first year I, from, from Coach Lansing's group, they went to Southern Indiana. So they were teammates with him. And then um, his trainer, the guy who kind of brought him up, was really connected with Matthew Graves. So once he went in, you know, we, we knew he was, was going to portal. Uh, we obviously waited until he went in. But we had a great feel for who he was as a kid, who he was, work ethic, all those things. And, and then we had the connections. But I, I thought he would be a fantastic fit. And Ryan Conwell, the year before, was when we had our recruiting board in 2022, um, when I got here, my first year was 21, so our, our class of 22, um, it, was, it was Robbie Avila and Ryan Conwell were 1-1A. One and, one and Ryan, we were his first Division One offer. I remember it. You know, we brought him to campus. I saw him in June. We got him to campus the next week. We offered. He was, you know, they were blown away, so happy, because he wasn't really a prominent recruit. And then how recruiting works is a month later, I couldn't get a hold of him. So, he was, you know, he blew up way beyond us and, and we couldn't even get in the mix. And, and uh, you know, we weren't even in the final five when he chose. But, but we, we did everything we could. We were, we were there, you know, his first day of practice. All, the whole staff went. We did the home visit. You know, they've been to campus. So when he went in the portal, you know, I think there was a little bit of built in of, man, like, look. And I told him this when I talked to him. I said, your whole thing is you got to. You're not going to find a head coach that believes in you more than me. Because he averaged five points a game in South Florida on a team that, you know, was well below 500, that was well below us in the net. But I said, I really think you're a star. And I said, you're not going to find a head coach, you know, that believes in you and what you can be more than me. And I showed that last year, and I'm showing that now. And I think being close to home, too, to have – we had it last year with Cavazier McCauley, but to have it with Isaiah Ryan, where our two leading scorers are Indiana kids, I think that's a big deal as well. It is Josh Church, the head coach of Indiana State, Murray State on the road in Murray, Kentucky, uh, coming up, I believe, on Sunday, right, at 5 o'clock. That's on ESPN, too. So everybody out there, I've got to get make sure that they're watching that coming up on Sunday because that is a tough-as-hell place to play when it was in the OVC and certainly what it is right now in the Missouri Valley. And uh, Josh on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline, before we get to that matchup, I did want to ask you this. Do you, in your mind – at all allow yourself to think about there being a path to an at-large in a season in in college basketball that we have seen so far? Or is it 100% focus on winning as much as you can and then making sure you take care of business in St. Louis? Probably both, right, is, is the honest answer, I guess. You know, like, you know, I, I think one goes with the other. I think I don't at all think about – you know, where we are in the at-large discussion right now because, you know, it's January 17th. And, you know, I mean, there's so much yeah. basketball to be played and the margin for error at this level is so small that, you know, anything that distracts you from preparing, like, in the, you know, the, the, the best way to do anything is to win, you know. And, and if we take care of our business and we're able to focus and continue to improve and win the games in front of us, uh, which are, as you know, in this league are really daunting, uh, even the games that people would write off and say, hey, that's not really that. They're challenging. And so, um, you know, anything that distraction that is bad. But certainly, 
uh, you know, you're not in a, in, in a silo either. Like you understand, Hey, we're 26 in the net today. Right. And that's a very fluid ranking. It, 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 it vacillates, you know, day to day based on results that, you know, really don't have much to do with you and your own results. So, so certainly I guess the answer is both, but the, the, the key is, is to stay locked in on, you know, I always look at a season. I really think the best way to do it is three modes. We talk about this to our guys, you know, like last night we're competing and, and we go out and compete against a good Missouri state team. We come back, we're off today, tomorrow we go back. We'll watch that film and we'll flush that. And that's our learning process. We will, we will watch the good, the bad, why we won, where we can get better, things that happened, and then we'll flush that game and then we'll dive right into preparation mode for Murray State. And, and we try to just toggle between those three modes. We're, we're competing, we're learning from the competition, we're preparing, we're not getting you know too high, too low, and anything that's distracting, all the outside noise, that's great, but a competitor's mindset, you got to kind of block all that out and focus on what's in front of you because it's as, as we've seen in college basketball, it's very easy to stub your toe. And games aren't one on paper; they're one in between those four lines on the wood, and you got to be locked in. But certainly, we understand where we are on the net, and and, and in a perfect world, uh, that would take a lot of pressure off in St. Louis if we knew, hey, we we, we earned ourselves in that large bid. Also means we won a, a heck of a lot of games between now and March seventh. Yeah, it was, what's fun for me to watch too, and this includes Michigan State in, in a loss. And I loved what you said after that game when you said, "Hey, you know, we came up here to win. We're incredibly disappointed." Um, yeah. But I mean, you could tell you could tell that Tom Izzo and Michigan State they were loaded up and they knew what you guys were bringing to the table. And and I felt mm-hmm. the same way when you guys played against Drake. You know, obviously, and that that uh, I think Tucker DeVries is like my age. I think he's been there about as long as as I was at Indiana State, and uh, yeah. he he was yeah. he was tough to handle. But to your point, you look at the Mo Valley with you guys, Drake, Southern Illinois, Bradley, Belmont, Murray State. I mean, it's four and two, four and two, four and two, five and one, and six and one. And you're right; there is not much margin for error right there. There's not, and and. You know, you've got, uh, I think we've got four teams in the top 100 in the net, um, you know, and, and uh, you know, we've had, we've had three losses. We've had, uh, uh, you know, three quad one road losses when you look at Drake, Michigan State, Alabama, and we've had one quad one road win, which now Bradley's a quad at the moment. Again, those things fluctuate, but as of today, a quad one road win. Um, but we're going to have plenty of, of, of good opportunities uh, here with this league. I mean, we still got, you know, Bradley coming back here. We got Drake coming back here. We got to go to Belmont. There's going to be plenty of opportunities uh, to gain quality wins. But the flip side of that is there's plenty of opportunities to stub your toe. And my two years in this league, what's been hard is, you know, the winners, the champions have had four or five losses. And in mid-May, you know, this league kind of cannibalized itself in some ways where it's really hard to to separate yourself clearly from everybody else. And and like you said, I mean, you're, you know, Missouri State yesterday, uh, you look at them, they're two and five in the league, but that's a real, that's a quality basketball team. And they've got a lot of power five transfers and they're, they're, they're a talented athletic big team. And, you know, we got to go back there. Uh, so, you know, it, it, that part is, is where you really got to be careful, but this league will give us opportunities. We'll have some quality opportunities, but we got to take advantage of them. Just like, you know, the Michigan state game we were, I went in the locker room after that game and, you know, that's one of those things where you're kind of like, I wonder what it's going to be like. They're going to be okay. Moral victory. We were, you know, up five in the second half and had a chance there in the final four minutes. And I went in and guys were pissed. And you know what? I was thrilled that they were pissed because that that's shows the mentality is where it needs to be in terms of, man, you know, we didn't come to, to play close or to put in a good show. We came here to win and we came up short and guys were upset. And, 
and and that's that's part of 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 you know what you want from from your guys. You don't want them to be happy that they lost. They should expect to win every single game, and and our guys do. Josh Schertz, the head coach of Indiana State, joins us again on the road in Murray State. Five o'clock coming up on Sunday, almost Sunday evening, Sunday late afternoon, ESPN2. You can check that out. I'm going to fare a guess. Jason Kent and Julian Larry, they seem like quality dudes that you can count on in most anything, even beyond basketball. That, that has to give you a great feeling of being able to rely and lean on those guys in those basketball moments. They really do. They're, they're, you know, elite students, elite human beings. They're two guys who, um, as you know, I mean, look, fans, you know, particularly casual fans, when they look at somebody's value, uh, they look at one number, and that's the number in the far right of the box score, right? Yep, like that's, that's exactly the number right. that fixates on. And, and, and so, but, you know, I tell my guys all the time, like, there are a lot of great players who are not great winners. There are some great winners who are not great players. Uh, but the best players are both. And the thing I'll say about Julian Larry and Jason Kent is they are, they are some of the best winners I've ever coached in my 26 years coaching. Like their fingerprints are all over the game in so many different ways. And some of them, we call them like invisible plays, you know, because they're not credit for them, but they're, but they're incredibly valuable to winning. I mean, Julian Larry last night, you know, guards, one of the more dynamic guards in our league and, and Austin Mason. And, 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 you know, that kid goes five for 17 and Julian Larry might've defeated, you know, and I'm not even exaggerating, maybe, maybe 55, 60 ball screens. And I mean, he's just throwing his body in there, getting over him, pushing him inside the three point line, contesting, you know, getting his body back. I mean, those are multiple effort. I mean, and so those kind of invisible plays, like those guys are elite winners and your teams have to have that. And so while the guys, who score the most points tend to get the most notoriety. <laughs> I would put Jason Ken, Julian Larry up against anybody in college basketball in terms of guys who impact winning and they could care less if they get two points or four points or they care about the team winning and if they're going to put their fingerprints on that in as many ways as possible on both ends of the floor. Yeah, I just I think about teams that always talk about decision making on the floor and what you can trust and like with mm-hmm. the ball, Julian Larry it just he just makes you feel comfortable. And yeah. uh, that's yeah. that. It's not like that is something easy to find. So, no, it punches. I mean, his, you know, he creates a lot of pace for us. You know, he's the fastest guy in the league with the ball. Um, you know, he's constantly pushing and transition, probing. Um, he doesn't really turn the ball over. Uh, he's just uber efficient. And just like Jason Ken, Jason Ken knows what he does. Julian Larry knows what he does. And those guys are stars in their roles. And that's what, you know, we, you mentioned puzzle earlier. We've talked about that. I mean, you know, it, it, do the pieces amplify each other or do they get in each other's way? Those guys amplify what Robbie, Ryan, and Isaiah do, which is what makes the whole thing work, is that the pieces fit together and they actually calm each other. And, they, and, and even though we have really talented guys, as you know, the key to a team is, you know, is the sum greater than the individual parts. And because of guys like that, our sum is greater than the individual parts. So you got a friend of the show here that just uh, texted me and said that you sound a lot like Rick Carlisle. <laughs> <laughs> well, we got the same barber, so hopefully we, uh, you know, <laughs> not the same, uh, not the same paycheck, but at least same barber. And uh, you know, yeah. Hey, listen, I don't know. Rick Carlisle's way smarter than me. He's won a lot more games. Uh, well, speaking of uh, barbers, uh, maybe unnecessary. Tell Graves I said hello too. <laughs> he also does not need a barber. He goes to the same uh, the same one. So yeah, I will make sure to tell Matthew. 
you, you said hello. He's back in uh, back in Indy today, enjoying the day off, and uh, we'll get him back up here uh, tomorrow. But he's back home and uh, back home in Indy, hanging out with the family. They'll kick him out tomorrow, though. They don't want to be around. <laughs> oh, you know, they, they have a one day max for him, so he'll be there today, and he'll be on the road first thing tomorrow morning. Yeah, I, I know everybody kind of gets tired of the old uh, White River Valley stories of the 1990s. So yeah, <laughs> and nobody more than his family. I mean, Lily, Abby, the Susan. I mean, they're, they're nobody more than them is sick of hearing about that stuff. So they'll, he'll be on the road first thing, 7 a.m. tomorrow. Uh, I'm sure Susan will make sure of that. When you and Dusty May are around, if you're ever around Indy, let me know so I can meet up with you guys too because I want to be a part of that conversation, okay? We'll absolutely do that. We'll do that. He'll be, uh, he was back here for Christmas, but he'll be coming back up this way, and I'd love to get together with, with uh, you guys for sure. Hey, keep on keeping on. It's a joy to watch. Really appreciate you coming on. We'll do it again soon. That sounds great. Thanks so much for having me on, and we'll talk to you soon. Take care. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you.